If you take your Bibles, turn along with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter 3. I know our husbands this morning are looking forward with anticipation for what the Lord has for us today. It is good. What God has for us is good. Last Sunday, we looked at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, focusing on verses 1 through 6, and saw God's plan for the Christian wife. This morning, as I've already handed out, we're going to see God's plan for the Christian husband, focusing in on verse 7 of 1 Peter chapter 3. So let me read the text for us. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, again, just to set the context before us. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Lord, this is a really important passage for us, for all of us, but especially for men in the room, whether they be young men who hope to one day be husbands or whether they be today husbands. Lord, we realize the importance of it because you've attached a warning to it, warning us that really a failure to take note of this passage and to seek to live it out can have really harmful spiritual effects for us as as men. So Lord, we pray that we would listen eagerly and intently to what you have for us today, that you would convict us where it's necessary, encourage us in other places, Father, and draw us closer to you and uh, help us see a clear picture of your plan for us, we ask In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week we looked at the first six verses of chapter 3 and saw God's plan for Christian wives. And if you didn't hear that, I'd encourage you to do so. Uh, Just sort of a plain reading of the text. There's several places in there where there's, there's, can be significant misunderstanding of what God is actually saying. Uh, sometimes we can read it through the lens of our own culture 
and our own understanding and misunderstand what God is actually saying there. So I encourage you, if you haven't heard that, go back and listen to that uh, and, and get caught up there. So we saw God's plan for the Christian wife, and we saw that God's plan involved two primary things, and that was, first of all, submit to your husband. God's plan for the Christian wife is that she submit to her husband, that she order herself, arrange herself under her husband's authority, under her husband's headship within the home. And then we also saw that she was to focus on adorning her heart with what is precious in God's sight. And that was that gentle and peaceable spirit, which is really a fruit of the spirit, which is really something all Christians are called to, but is also something uh, the wife is called to. And so focusing on not, not external adornment only, but primarily focusing on adorning our hearts with what is precious in God's sight. All right, And that's what we looked at last week, just as a summary. And then let's move on to today, and that is God's plan for the Christian husband. God's plan for the Christian husband. And again, this comes entirely out of verse 7. Peter now, in verse 7, turns his attention away from the Christian wife and on to the Christian husband. And to the husband, he says, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, it's interesting that Peter chooses to include a word of instructions, instruction to husbands at this point. And furthermore, we might ask ourselves, why does he say so little to them when he spent six verses on the wives? Seems a little imbalanced. Well, Peter, throughout this section of Scripture, which is what we call the household codes, these household instructions, things that relate to the household, Peter has been focused on giving instructions to those within the household who are in positions of relative weakness and powerlessness. To those who could be taken advantage of or mistreated in some way. And so he's given special instructions to those who served as slaves or servants. And now in chapter 3, to those who were wives. Both slaves and wives were in positions of considerable vulnerability and powerlessness in that first century culture, that Greco-Roman culture. If slaves were on the lowest rung of the ladder, then women and wives were only slightly above them. Women were considered second-class citizens in the world of the first century. Listen to what One commentator says about the Greco-Roman view of women and wives. The subordination of wives to husbands reflected in this passage must be seen against the background of the general status of women in the Hellenistic world of that time. Dominant among the elite was the notion that the woman was by nature inferior to the man because she lacked the capacity for reason that the male had, she was ruled rather by her emotions and was a result, as a result given to poor judgment, immorality, intemperance, wickedness, and avarice. She was untrustworthy, contentious, and as a result it was her place to obey. Such a view of women was also sedimented in legal tradition, 
Women could not vote or hold office, could not take an oath or plead a case in court, could not be the legal guardian of their own minor children, and were legally dependent on either their father or a guardian. The ancient Jewish historian Josephus states that the testimony of women shouldn't be allowed into a court of law. Furthermore, the Jewish Talmud states, Happy is he whose children are males, and woe to him whose children are females. Nice. It is into this dominant Greco-Roman culture that Peter, therefore, is speaking. And when you consider the the broader culture into which he writes, verse 7 is revolutionary, as we'll see. Peter does not share this negative cultural view of women. Far from it. He elevates women. Peter addresses husbands here because he wants to correct some of these dominant cultural ideas and help to ensure that Christian husbands were not carrying these ideas into their homes and into their relationships with women inside their homes. It's also important to point out from this passage that the noun for wives is never actually used. It's been supplied by our English translations to help to make it more readable and more understandable. You might notice if your translation has uh, husbands in the same way. Let's see, where is it? Verse 7. You husbands in the same way live with your wives. Your wives is in italics because it's not there. Okay, they've supplied that. The translators have supplied that to help make it more readable, more understandable. The only word that is used in the, is the general word for woman or female. So it's likely that Peter's goal here is to address Christian husbands as the leaders of their homes and that this instruction can apply to every female relationship within the home, including their relationship to their wife, of course, first and foremost, but also their relationship to their daughters, perhaps to a mother-in-law or a mother, or their relationship to their female servants. So this verse then can apply to a variety of male-female relationships, but it certainly has primary reference to the husband-wife relationship. So now addressing the man, the husband, Peter says in verse 7, you husbands in the same way. In the same way is another marker that we are moving to a new category of relationship, a new subject matter. Just as it was used to transition from servants to wives in chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, in the same way, wives. It also points out the way in which the wife and the husband are to live out their responsibilities in the home. That is, just as the wife is to live out her role and responsibility in the fear of God and to honor all people, so the husband is to live out his role and responsibility in the fear of God and in honoring all people. See, this whole section began with a a word in chapter 2 and verse 17. Look there with me. Chapter 2 and verse 17, introducing these household codes of how we're to operate with inside the household. Chapter 2, verse 17 says, Honor all people... Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. 
All right, so that would apply to every person, every Christian in the household, whether they were a servant, whether they were a wife, whether they were a husband. So the servants, wives, and husbands are called to fear God and honor all people. Just as slaves are to carry out their role and responsibility in the fear of God and in honor of all people, and just as wives are to carry out their role and responsibility in the fear of God and in honor for all people, so here, husbands, in the same way, are called to carry out their role and responsibilities in the fear of God and in honor of all people. And we'll see more on this issue of the importance of the husband living out his role in the fear of the Lord in just a moment. So so that brings us to Peter's first exhortation to Christian husbands, all right? And that is this. Live with your wife in an understanding way. So 2A is live with your wife in an understanding way. Husbands are called to live with their wives in an understanding way. Or another way of saying that is according to knowledge. That would be kind of the literal way of understanding it. According to knowledge. Live with them according to knowledge. Now what does this mean? To live with your wife in an understanding way. Well, some have thought that this primarily means that we are to live with our wife with knowledge of who she is. Being considerate, in other words. Considerate of who she is. And that's certainly one possible understanding of this passage. According to this interpretation, to live with your wife in an understanding way is to do so with a knowledge of of what she likes and what she dislikes, with an understanding of how she responds in certain situations, to know her personality, her background, her dreams for the future, her fears, and so on, and then to live and respond as a husband accordingly. To understand their wives' strengths and weaknesses. To encourage them in their strengths and to help them in their weaknesses. Now, while all of this is good and right to do as Christian husbands, I'm not certain that this is all that Peter is saying here. I think it can be included in this, but I don't think that's all he's saying here. And it's certainly true That we are, as Christian husbands, to live with our wives in an understanding way. Biblical love certainly requires that of us. And husbands are most certainly called upon by God to love their wives. Husbands, love your wives. It was Martin Luther who said the Christian is supposed to love his neighbor, and since his wife is his nearest neighbor, she should be his deepest love. That makes sense. Husbands, when the Bible calls us to love our neighbor as ourselves, that most certainly includes our wives. But the Bible's call for us to love our wives is much more explicit than merely a general call for us to love our neighbor. A great parallel passage to 1 Peter 3 is Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5.25, Paul says, Husbands, Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. What a high and holy 
calling that is. What a high and holy love we as husbands are called to. To love our wives as Christ loved the church. And we know how Jesus loved the church, right? He loved the church wholeheartedly. He loved the church unselfishly. He loved the church sacrificially, unceasingly. Despite our many sins and failures, Jesus loved us and sacrificed himself for us. And Jesus' sacrifice of himself on the cross opened up for all of us the way of salvation to all who will trust in him for the forgiveness of sins. Just want to remind you today that this call to live as Christian husbands or to live as a Christian wife is a call that flows out of the gospel, the truth that Jesus Christ has come to redeem us from our sins, from our many failures to live as God would have us, and that there is now forgiveness available to all those who will put their faith in Jesus Christ and trust in Him. Jesus showed us what love looks like. He demonstrated it Himself. He is the supreme example of love, Loving self-sacrifice. And that is precisely the kind of love we're to love our wives with. Jesus serves as a model for every Christian husband to follow in loving his wife. Paul made it very clear what this kind of love is to look like. Made it very practical in 1 Corinthians 13. Though 1 Corinthians 13 was written... To describe what love is to look like in the context of the Christian community, the church, it certainly applies in the Christian home as well. Let me just read it for you. 1 Corinthians 13. This is what love looks like. This is what the Christian husband's love for his wife is to look like. Love is patient. Love is kind. And is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Love doesn't act unbecomingly. Love doesn't seek its own. Love is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. Love never fails. Now certainly, part of what it means to love our wives is to love them knowledgeably. Knowing them and loving them for who they are and how God made them and appreciating that. That's part of loving them. Loving them for their strengths. Loving them despite their weaknesses and failures. This is biblical love. And it is the love to which all Christian husbands are called. But I don't think that is the limit or necessarily even the focus of the kind of knowledge and understanding that Peter has in mind here, as good as that is. When Peter instructs husbands to live with their wives in an understanding way or according to knowledge, 
I believe he's primarily talking about living with them according to the knowledge that God is watching. To live with their wives in the fear of the Lord. So to live with your wife in an understanding way is, or according to knowledge, is to live with your wife according to the knowledge that, that God sees, that God knows. And to order your life first and foremost under his authority as Christian husbands. Just as wives and servants have been called in their roles within the household to live in the fear of the Lord, I believe here Peter is calling Christian husbands to do the same. To live according to knowledge, according to the knowledge of the fear of the Lord. Peter has been careful to mention the fear of the Lord to each of these different household members in their respective roles and responsibilities. Look back at chapter 2 and verse 18. In chapter 2 and verse 18, slaves are called to submit to their masters with all respect. Literally, literally it says, with all fear. Not fear of their masters, but in fear of the Lord. Here in 1 Peter, fear is always directed to fear of the Lord. Not fear of another person, but fear of the Lord. And then in verse 19... He says, with reference to consciousness of God doing what is right. With a view to God, with an understanding of, of God's watchful eye and helpful presence. And this fear of God on the part of slaves will result in respectful, honoring behavior toward their masters. Peter gave the same instruction to wives in chapter 3 and verse 2. Wives are called to live respectfully, respectful behavior, literally in fear. Not, again, in fear of their husbands, but in fear of the Lord. The wife's fear of God will also result in respectful, honoring behavior toward their husbands. So too, then, in the same way, husbands, I believe, are called upon to live with their wives in an understanding way or with knowledge, to live with them in a consciousness of God and in fear of the Lord. And this fear of the Lord would result in the husband's respectful and honoring behavior toward their wife. Now, Whichever interpretation is preferred, and it could go either way, what is clear is that the husband is to live intentionally. He's to live knowledgeably, with insight and understanding of the situation. Whether that insight and understanding is focused on the fear of the Lord or on the personality and preferences of his wife, in the end, I don't think it really matters or really changes the meaning of the text. Because we know both things are clearly required of the husband and they are both taught elsewhere in Scripture. Christian husbands are to fear the Lord and Christian husbands are to love their wives in a custom way, in a tailored way, tailoring their behavior and their responses to their wife's particular personality, needs, and preferences. 
That's what it means to be a Christian husband. It's to fear God and love your wife. Fear the Lord and love your wife. Live with her in an understanding way, according to knowledge, both a knowledge of God and a knowledge of her. So God's design for the Christian husband is to live with their wife in an understanding way. Husbands, how are we doing? Do we understand that we are not ultimate in our roles? That we live our lives under the watchful gaze of God? Do we understand what that means? And do we live accordingly? Do we live in fear of the Lord? In that worshipful awe and respect of Him? Out of love for Him, seeking to live out our responsibilities as a husband in the home? Do we love our wives with that that tailor-made love? Recognizing that God has made her who she is and responding accordingly to her preferences, her desires, where possible. Sacrificing our own desires, our own needs, our own wants at times to meet the needs of our wife. Following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ who loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is the love we're called to. There's no husband on this earth who can say they have attained that. They have arrived. It is a goal that forever will remain in front of us, for which we strive, for which we confess our faults and our failures. But this is God's design for the Christian home. Husbands, live in fear of the Lord and love your wife. But there's more. To be or not to be. No, it's to be. Honor her as a fellow heir of God's grace. Husbands, honor your wife as a fellow heir of God's grace. Peter says, you husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Husbands are called upon to live with their wives as someone who is weaker. Now again, our culture at this point is lighting their hair on fire and saying, you can't say that. Literally, it says, as a weaker vessel, Using household vessels as a kind of metaphor for human beings, men and women. Women described as the weaker of the two vessels. That doesn't mean that both aren't weak, right? As human beings, we are weak and frail. We are mortal. We get sick, we get tired. 
we die, we can be crushed, we are not immortal, none of us. But women are described as a weaker vessel. If you want to think of it this way, men, you are a bit more like a a root beer mug, kind of heavy, kind of bulky, probably got some chips and cracks, but still holding together. And women are here described as something far more elegant, something uh, more like a fine piece of china, porcelain. You wouldn't treat these two the same way. You treat them differently. You give greater care to one than you would another. Peter specifies here that the woman is the weaker of the two vessels. Now, in what sense is the woman weaker? In every sense? And all the men said no. Right? No. Not in every sense weaker. Not at all. We know in many ways women are clearly not weaker than men. For instance, it is an indisputable fact that women statistically live longer than men. So in your face, men, (laughs) with the ultimate stat, you will die first. Typically, that's what happens, right? It's also clear that women are not weaker when it comes to intelligence. Nowhere do the scriptures teach that women are intellectually inferior to men in any way. Peter is also not saying that women are emotionally weaker. For women typically show far greater emotional courage than men in being more transparent and vulnerable in sharing their emotions and feelings than men do. Likewise, women are not weaker spiritually. And we're going to see that very clearly. Peter makes that explicit here. He's not talking about their spiritual weakness at all. In fact, as a pastor, I could argue that many women are in fact spiritually stronger than men. So then, in what sense are women the weaker vessel? I think Peter has two clear and related areas in which a woman can be said to be a weaker vessel. First, the woman is the weaker vessel in the sense that she is simply physically, anatomically weaker. Now, that's not to say that every woman is weaker than any man. Certainly, you could find examples of very strong, physically strong women who are physically stronger than certain men. I would not want to go in the ring with certain women. I just wouldn't. But as a general rule, 
women tend to be physically not as strong as men. Physiologically. This is just simply a reality. Despite the fact that in some corners of society, it is an inflammatory and heretical statement to say that women, as a rule, are physically weaker than men in terms of muscular strength. That's all I'm talking about here. Sheer muscular strength. That is considered by many to be an outdated, chauvinistic idea. But to most of us, it's simply common sense. Common sense that happens to be verified by science. And I think that is primarily the kind of weakness that Peter is referring to. The woman is the weaker vessel in the sense of sheer physical strength. But the second way I think Peter may be hinting at here is related to that, and that is of her social status and her vulnerability in the first century. As we've already seen, women in the first century had little social standing, little social respect or authority on their own. This often left them defenseless and vulnerable. So Peter tells husbands here to treat them accordingly as the weaker vessel, meaning treat them carefully, handle with care. Ephesians 5.28 says, Husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but instead nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Wives are to be cherished and treasured. This teaching rules out as wicked and sinful every kind of marital abuse and manipulation and mistreatment. So Peter is highlighting the fact that the the woman is a weaker vessel in the sense that she is physically not as strong as the man, socially doesn't have the social capital in the culture of the time, to be able to protect herself and defend herself legally. And therefore, the husband ought to go to greater pains to protect her, to cherish her, to honor her. The Bible repeatedly calls for the protection and care of those who are defenseless, those who are more vulnerable in a given society, those who are weaker in a given society culture. And here, husbands are called on to treat women appropriately. Certainly the wife, but all women in the home. Knowing that they are physically weaker, men are not to take advantage of them through their greater physical strength or through their greater social standing. But Peter doesn't leave it there. He goes further. Look at what he says next. Show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Now, given the cultural status of women in Peter's day, this is an amazing statement. Show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Now, 
It is a culturally scandalous statement in Peter's day. Peter think, uh, modern people think Peter here is you know, saying all these terribly chauvinistic things. In fact, Peter is saying things that go and cut against the grain of the dominant culture. He's a progressive. He's calling for honorable treatment of women who share equal spiritual status with men. They are fellow heirs of the grace of life. What is the grace of life? Well, the grace of life is is talking about the grace of God that results, I believe, in eternal life. The grace which is life. The grace that results in life. Life eternal. So it's a reference, I believe, to salvation and all that God has promised to us through Jesus Christ. It's that, that... Eternal blessing reserved in heaven for us that Peter began this letter with in chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope and given us an eternal eternal inheritance reserved in heaven for us who are protected by faith through the power of God. That's That's what that life is. That grace of life is referring to. They are fellow heirs, equal inheritors of what God has for us through faith in Jesus Christ. In the future, they're going to inherit the same heavenly blessings we are. So, Peter says, treat them appropriately in the present. Paul makes a similar argument for the spiritual equality of Jews and Gentiles in Ephesians chapter 3. Listen to what he says there. He says, to be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, same language, fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So Jews and Gentiles are fellow heirs, fellow partakers, fellow members. Jews and Gentiles stand on equal footing at the cross of Jesus Christ. No longer is there some ethnic distinction between Jew and Gentile. Spiritually speaking, there is one people of God. Galatians 3, Paul expands the categories of spiritual equality to include women and men. Listen to what he says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. For you all are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. You all are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. You're clothed in Christ now, all of you. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you 
are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. See that? Language of heirs being co-heirs of God's promises. Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, all are equal, spiritually speaking, in Jesus Christ. Now, it's not that salvation has come and has removed every form of distinction or role and responsibility. A simple reading of the rest of Scripture will make that clear. Not all categories of distinction have been done away with. God still, I believe, has a plan for Israel. God has distinct roles and responsibilities for male and female, both in the home and in the church. But there is a fundamental spiritual equality that exists between Jew and Gentile who believes in Christ, between slave and free man who believes in Christ, and between male and female who believe in Christ. All possess the same fundamental spiritual equality. There are no second-class citizens in Christ's kingdom. Amen? If you're a child of God, then you have as much access, as much spiritual privilege, and an equal spiritual position before God as every other Christian, regardless of your ethnicity, your social status, or your sex. And because Christian women are fellow heirs of the grace of life, they are to be treated with honor. Peter says, show her honor. To honor means to value, to esteem, to respect and appreciate. To treat them in accord with their spiritual position before Christ. To love them even as Christ loves them. Are you going to mistreat someone who Christ loves? You better think twice about that. In pointing out these things, Peter is undermining all kinds of abuse and mistreatment that wives and women in general would have been commonly subjected to. He is tearing down the accepted, culturally accepted walls and opening up spiritual equality to women. Instead of being treated roughly, instead of taking advantage of them, instead of running roughshod over women, Christian husbands are to treat their wives and all women with honor and respect. To treat their Christian wives as their spiritual equals and as co-heirs of God's grace and God's promises. And then he underscores the importance of all this by sharing with them the dangers of not doing so. He says, so that, do this, okay, honor them as your fellow heirs of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. If they failed to pay attention to this, and to seek to live it out, their prayers would be hindered. 
You see, to treat women poorly is not only wicked and wrong, it is spiritually devastating. It disrupts your communication with God. The phone line between you and heaven will be cut. Severed. God will not hear your prayers while you're mistreating your fellow heir of the grace of life. How dare you? That's nothing new. God made it clear in the Old Testament that prayer could be hindered when it wasn't attended with a life that showed a fear of the Lord and a concern for the vulnerable, for those who are weaker. Listen to what God says in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 14 through 17. God says, I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They've become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I'm going to hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Because your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Do you see the kind of action God wanted to see among his people who claimed to praise him, who opened up their arms in prayer to him? God wanted them to live a life of care and concern for those who were more vulnerable, those who were weaker, to the orphan, to the widow. They were to seek justice and do good and reprove the ruthless. They were to repent and confess their sins. And then God would hear them. Men, husbands, you can't treat women poorly and expect God to hear your prayers. You can't think little of women for whom Christ died and whom Christ loves and expect God to hear your prayers. He says very clearly, He won't. So confess and repent of your sin and God will hear you again. So let me boil down verse 7 for us, guys. If you're like me, you need it real simple. This is it. This is God's design for Christian husbands. Fear God and love your wife. With all that that means, fear God. Walk with Him in humility. Seek Him. Love Him. Worship Him. Serve Him. Love God, fear Him, and love your wife. Love her sacrificially, self-sacrificially. Put her needs first. When we put God above ourselves, 
and we put our wives ahead of ourselves, everything kind of shifts where it ought to be in our own life. And we live out God's intended design for us as men and as husbands. That's God's plan. May God make it so. Let's pray. Lord God, if we are honest with ourselves, there's not a Christian man here, a Christian husband here who says I have fallen short. We all have fallen short in many ways. The love of Christ is perfect. Lord Jesus, your self-sacrificial love for your church is unmatched, unparalleled, perfect, unceasing. And ours is so oftentimes so far from that. It's far more natural for us to love ourselves and to pursue ourselves. And that's our problem. That's sin. We confess it, Lord. We repent of it. We turn from it. And we ask that you would help us to grow in our fear of you and our love for our wives. Grow us in love for you and in love for those women you've placed in our lives that we would be respectful and honoring that we would cherish and treasure. And in this way, love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.